welcome to the podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Amen. Well, hey, hope you're doing well. Hope you had a great Halloween slash All Saints Day. That's actually the, the day in the church calendar, just a kind of fun fact, in case you didn't know that. Uh, I have young children, two daughters, and so, of course, they dressed up. So one was an astronaut, uh, one was a fairy, so that was awesome, and we uh, went downtown, and we were trick-or-treating, so I had a great time. But anyways, uh, we are in a series right now on God's love, and each week we're looking at a different facet of God's love. And so last week we saw that God's love is a love that finds us in our place of weakness and need. And then the prior week we, we looked at how God's love is this revolutionary love in that it's sort of just so radically different than the kind of human loves that we are used to, specifically in that God's love is an unconditional love. It's not based on our performance or our achievement. It is an unconditional love. And so each week we've been looking at a different facet of God's love, but now in this series we're kind of pivoting to, to look more uh, at our response to this love. So before we were focusing more on the nature of this love, and so now we're going to pivot a bit to focus more on our response to this love. And this is really crucial because it's not enough to simply hear a sermon on God's love It's not enough just to listen to a podcast on God's love. It's not enough just to read a book on God's love. In order for this to truly get in us and impact us, there's something that we are called to by way of response. What is it? We are called to come and drink. We are called to come and drink. A moment ago, I read from John chapter 7. Let me read this again. Verses 37 and 38. Jesus says this, let anyone who is thirsty, so are, are, are you thirsty this morning? Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And so here's what I want to talk about today. There's this invitation that we have to come and drink from the waters of God's presence and love. The call we have to drink of God's love. To not just acknowledge it, to not just affirm it, but to really drink and receive this love that he offers to us. And in this invitation, in this invitation that we read from John chapter 7, Jesus uses this image of water. And in a moment, I'll tie this to God's love, and then we'll look at a story from John chapter 4. But let me ask, why did Jesus use this image of water? Why is this such a a prominent theme in Scripture? And here in this passage, I'll I'll share a story to illustrate. So a couple summers ago, my family and I, we went on vacation, and we had a wonderful time. And and wouldn't you know, we come home and uh, drive into the driveway, and we notice uh, there is water on the sidewalk. I'm thinking, ah, bummer. A sprinkler broke, you know, but we can fix it. Uh, but then I open the front door and realize the situation is far, far worse because there's like a little mini lake in my entryway. So our, our house floods, so of course, quickly, frantically, I'm trying to remember where is the water main and 
I, I, so anyways, I fit, found it and turned the water off and, you know, called my insurance guy and kind of all these frantic kind of emergency things you do. Uh, you try to secure my books, kind of get them out of the water and, you know, like that's the most important thing, you know. Um, and uh, so, you know, after all that kind of settled uh, down, uh, you know, uh, w- what happened was that we, we came to realize that we can't really live <laughs> without water because, you know, the water shut off. And of course, we couldn't use the sink to wash our hands. We couldn't uh, wash dishes. We couldn't wash clothes. We couldn't take a shower. We couldn't, you know, really do, do anything. And so we realized pretty quick that we had to get a hotel. And actually, we ended up staying in a hotel for over a month. But what that illustrates is how dependent we are on water for life. Just to drive the point home, I'll just share a few fun facts on this. So 71% of the Earth's surface is water. Can you believe that? 71%. Around 60% of the human body is actually composed of water. So you're mostly water. It's amazing. An adult female needs to consume around three liters of water per day. An adult male needs to consume almost four liters of water per day. Um, A person can live a whole month without food, but a person can only survive roughly three to seven days without water, depending on climate and depending on exertion. So three to seven days. So whether directly or indirectly, all facets of life depend uh, upon water. And really, without water, life as such would be impossible on planet Earth. We need water for life. And so Jesus uses this image to help us understand that what, what he is inviting us to is more important, is what we need more than anything else, more than anything else. So, so what is he referring to when he invites us to come and drink this water? Well, further down in John chapter 7 and in verse 39, the apostle John tells us, he says, by this, now that's referring to the water, by this he meant the Spirit. In other words, the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So when Jesus invites us to come and drink of this water, he is inviting us to come and, and drink deeply of his Holy Spirit. Now let me briefly tie this to this theme of, of love. So Romans chapter 5, verse 5, you can put the slide up. It says this, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through what? Through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So if we want to grow in experiencing God's love, that means that we need to grow and learn how to come to God, to come to Jesus and drink of the waters of God's spirit because the spirit of God is the spirit of love, the one who makes that real to our hearts, to our lives. Now, now this theme of water and the spirit of God is actually found throughout scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation and here in John chapter 7, Jesus uses the image, and there are different kind of metaphors used, but he, here he uses the image of a river, a powerful river, uh, with the power to bring healing and, and hope and, and transformation and refreshing and renewal and life, spiritual life. And just a side note, this past July when I went on ret- retreat and spent some time in fasting and prayer about the season ahead, I felt like I heard the Lord say, the water levels are rising among us. And I feel like I've, I've already been seeing that uh, in our midst. 
But even though that's the case, there's still something that we are called to by way of response. And what that is, is to come and to drink, to dive in and drink of this water and to let it just kind of wash over us and flood us with the presence of God. So perhaps some of you here today, you've kind of been maybe kind of standing on the shore of that river, kind of been looking at it, but the invitation today is really to dive in and drink deeply of these waters. That's the invitation. Now there's another image of this water that Jesus uses earlier in the Gospel of John in chapter four, and it's in the context of a famous story of Jesus' encounter of a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman at a well. And, and it's so helpful for helping us understand this invitation. So I want to kind of camp out here for the rest of our time together. So let me read this to you. This is from John chapter 4, verses 4 through 14. You can flip there if you have a Bible with you. And it says this. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now this is referring to Jesus. It says he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob as well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. What a passage, right? What a passage. Now, it's important to understand something about the context here so we don't miss how how radical this story actually is. And it's important to know that the Roman uh, Roman world, the Roman Empire, uh, much like our culture today, it was a deeply uh, divided place, divided by race and and class and and culture. And so, for example, Jews, they would never go near Samaritans. And, And you see, Jesus, he actually deliberately went through Samaria. And he sits down at a well, and, and, he, and he says to this woman whose life, as you read later in the passage, her, her, her life's just sort of a mess. And, but notice, he, he doesn't say to her, hey, you, know, hey, you send her, like, what, what's your problem? Instead, he simply sits down. Think about this. This is God in the flesh. In verse 7, he says, will you give me a drink? And at this point, she has no idea who's sitting there talking to her right next to her. Will you give me a drink? Now, what do we know about this woman that that Jesus is talking with here? Well, from the perspective uh, of Jesus' kind of original audience, she would have been seen as sort of like the lowest of the low for three reasons. First of all, she was a woman in a deeply patriarchal culture. So, for example, rabbis in this culture would avoid talking to women as much as possible. But notice this, Jesus talks to her. 
as you look at the ministry of Jesus, he refuses to observe any custom that reflects prejudice, gender prejudice, ethnic prejudice. Uh, and by the way, just kind of a side note on this, I once had a professor when I was an undergrad at Cal Poly, I, I studied philosophy there, and he kind of had this routine he did where he said, you know, God is a sexist God. How can you believe in a sexist God? And so uh, one, one year uh, when the philosophy symposium rolled around, I decided I'm going to present a paper. And it was titled... <laughs> Jesus as feminist. He didn't like that. But, um, <laughs> but what you have to understand is if you understand the historical context, Jesus elevated women. Again, rabbis wouldn't even talk to women. He not only talked to women, he actually took women as disciples. He taught them. Rabbis would never do that. He crossed all sorts of kind of cultural lines and barriers to elevate women. Uh, he, you know, if you read, uh, I, so I read, uh, you know, uh, all these secular philosophers as an undergrad and a grad student. And so, for example, Aristotle, who is like the greatest uh, secular philosopher of the ancient world, had tremendously disparaging things to say about women. Yet Jesus, he elevates women. Uh, he is so amazing. He is so amazing. So one of the reasons why this woman was, was sort of marginalized was because, first of all, she was a woman, but, but secondly, because she was a Samaritan. Now, there is sort of this age-old, not age-old, but centuries-old uh, division, hostility, antagonism between the Jews and the, and the Samaritans, and so they would have been taught to ignore these people, to hate them. Uh, but the third reason she would have been marginalized is because of the way she lived her life, and later in this story, we read of how she's had five husbands, and of course, that's a lot of husbands, but especially in the ancient Near East. Uh, and, and so she would have uh, really been, probably been marginalized in virtue of that. But in addition to that, we read later in the passage that she's actually now living with a man who is not her husband. And so as a result of that, it's clear she's been sort of shunned. And one way we see this is that here she's going to get water at noon by herself. In that cultural context, women would have gone to the well together. And so the fact that she's going alone tells us that she was shunned, she was shamed, she was kind of outcast in this society. At Jesus, he comes and he talks to her. He sits down next to her. He treats her like a human being. Jesus is so amazing. He's just so amazing. And I think one of the ways that we can relate to the story is that she's just, this woman, she's just, she's terribly broken. And, and the reality is we might not always think of it like this, but we're broken too, right? And so, so we can all really kind of relate to this passage that Jesus comes to us in our brokenness. He doesn't come with, with judgment. We saw John 3.16. He came not to judge, to condemn the world, but to, but to save the world. And so Jesus comes. He's coming with redemptive love to reach out to her. And I just love how, how, how he approaches her. He doesn't say, you know, hey, what's your problem, you know? He says, just, will you give me a drink? Just so kind. And he says to her in verse 10, if you only knew the free gift of God, and it's like it's utterly free. If, if you knew who it is that's asking you for a drink, you would have asked me and I would have given you living water. Not just water, but living water. This water with life in it that has the power to change human lives. But notice this, it is an utterly free gift. It's not something you can earn. It's not something uh, you can achieve. It is an utterly free gift from God. Now, I don't know if you've ever gotten one of those deals in the mail where it says, you have won a free trip to Disney World. And, you know, one time I actually like, I'm thinking, well, I don't know, maybe, but you know, just in case, I'm going to call these guys. 
So I call them. Turns out, it's not free. <laughs> it's not free. But this deal here that Jesus is offering, it is actually, truly, and utterly free. It's a free gift and offer. Free gift of God. So amazing. And so Jesus says here in verse 10, he said, you would have asked him, in other words, if you, if you knew how I was and, and what I'm offering, you, you would have asked for this. Now, if you read through the rest uh, of this passage, you'll see that this woman's theology, it's a little bit tweaked, it's a little, it's a little off, it's a little messed up. Uh, she's a Samaritan religiously, uh, and she gets in this kind of theological argument with Jesus about where people should worship. So again, her, her theology's kind of tweaked, she's in process, but she has a, a little bit of faith. And so she ends up asking Jesus for this water, and her whole life is changed as a result. And the point I, I simply want us to draw from this is that all you have to do is ask. You don't have to have it all together. You don't have to have it all figured out. You can have questions. You can have doubts. You can have confusion or disappointment. All you have to do is ask. Just come to Jesus and ask, and he wants to meet you in that. And, and I also want you to hear that, and you, what we see in the story is that Jesus meets us right where we are. Sometimes we feel like we have to have a different life, like maybe we have to be further down the road. We have to have it all together. But the only place you will ever meet Jesus is right where you are. Not in your kind of ideal life with your you know, ideal scenario. He, he meets you right where you are. And that's what we see in this passage. So the point is just ask. Just come to him and ask because he freely gives. And then he goes on and says that if you do, if you ask, you'll get something called living water. Now, uh, when I was a kid growing up in the church, I thought, if I'm honest, that Christianity was basically boring. And what that reveals is that I hadn't actually tasted of this living water because it's not just water. This is living water that Jesus is offering. And this is better than anything else. This is something that will change your life. And as we saw earlier in John chapter 7, that Jesus identifies this with the Holy Spirit. I'll read John 7 again, verse 37, 38. Again, Jesus says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Then here in John 4, Verse 14, he, he puts it like this. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Now, one of the things that these verses imply is that there is to be sort of an outward flow of these living waters through our lives. So he's saying to this one, if you receive this gift, this will just sort of like gush out of you. And let me back up a verse actually, back to uh, chapter four, John four, verse 13. And, and it says, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, referring again to the water uh, from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And so it says in verse 15, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here. Now there's a reference here in these verses 
to thirst. And what Jesus is getting at here is not just the physical thirst. He's pointing to, to something deeper, how in every human being there's this thirst, this longing that we have. And what this longing is, is, is for love. It is for satisfaction. Uh, and, and that thirst is in all of us, no matter whether you believe in God or not, whether you're secular or spiritual, wherever you are on that map, that we all have this thirst within us. And, and we can run after that in a thousand different ways, trying to quench that thirst. But Jesus is saying that this deep inner longing that we all have will only be satisfied with these living waters that he provides. Only in that, only in him. And so think about this. Here's sort of the dynamic of the spiritual life. So, so if just on the physical, kind of on your natural life, if you don't drink water, you get thirsty, right? So the parallel in our spiritual lives is if, if, if you go without God and his love, then your soul will get thirsty. And, and, and once that starts to bubble up, the, the, the problem is that you can be tempted to drink from other sources, right? Uh, things that won't truly satisfy, and they'll actually just make you more and more thirsty. So think of it like this. If you only drank beer, guess what would happen? Some of you know this experience, kind of you don't have to admit to that, but <laughs> you don't have to admit confessions later. Um, no, so um, if you only drank beer, and I actually looked this up to confirm, this wasn't just like a kind of an urban legend, you will actually become dehydrated. At first, it might feel like, oh, this is quenching my thirst. But if you just keep drinking beer after beer after beer, guess what? You will actually become extremely dehydrated. Well, it's like that when we try to quench our thirst with things other than God. Not to say there aren't good things in life that are part of the meaning that God provides for us to enjoy in life. But, but if, if we go to those things as ultimate things, we will just get thirstier and thirstier and thirstier. And so as we look at the life of this Samaritan woman, she's kind of going everywhere to get this thirst quenched. She's kind of going after relationship, after relationship, after relationship. But Jesus promises that if you drink from me, he's saying, if you drink this living water, you will never thirst again. But again, the problem is that we try to satisfy, satisfy this thirst with lesser things, things that won't truly satisfy. I once came across a great definition of sin, and it's this. You can put the slide up. It's meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. Think about that. Sin, meeting, at least so often I think sin is what it is. It's meeting a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. So for example, you have a need for love, or you have a need for comfort, but instead of turning to God with that, you turn, let's say, common thing in our culture, to pornography. So, so think about that. So there's a legitimate need being met in an illegitimate way. And the problem is that things like pornography, they promise to quench that thirst. They kind of promise to give you the sense of love or comfort or whatever that is, but in the end, you only end up being 10 times more thirsty as a result. Because it's not living water, it's, it's like polluted water. It reminds me of some of the survival shows I watch. These, this one of the kind of shows I like. And so they have these people in like, like the middle of nowhere. And of course, like rugged, rugged place. And of course, their, their top survival need is to secure a clean source of water, right? But sometimes, you know, it's like, ah, oh, they're hot. They're tired. They've been traveling so long and they're, they're so tired. And it's like, ah, oh, but I'm just so thirsty. And ah, oh, that water right there. I know we haven't boiled it yet, but ah. Oh, Oh, it looks okay. It looks pretty good. I'm sure we'll be fine. And then they just, somebody just, you know, is impatient. They're not waiting to get the fire going to boil it and all that stuff. And so they drink it. What do you know? Hour later, two hours later, they are just puking their guts out. 
and they're just so sick. And, and see, that's what it's like, and that's kind of how sin uh, kind of can present itself to us. It looks like, ah, oh, these polluted streams, ah, oh, this will be fine. Maybe this will kind of quench my thirst. But it ends up just making more and more thirsty, more and more sick. I mean, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. I have the living water that will satisfy you, that will meet that deep thirst in your soul. Deep thirst in your soul. Now, what's tricky is sometimes those streams, those things that we go to to satisfy this thirst are, are things, what we might call vices, and often can be addictions of different kinds. But, but sometimes we can turn to things that in and of themselves uh, are good, uh, and, and, but go to them to, to meet this deep soul level thirst that we have. And, and so the problem with that uh, is, is when you turn, make, it, make a finite thing and make it an ultimate thing. So, for example, and it can, then it can just make you just as thirsty as something else. So, for example, um, think about success. If you make that an ultimate thing, you think, you know, if I just get that job, then that thirst in my soul will be quenched. Or, you know, if I just get that promotion, then if like that, you're making that an ultimate thing, like that's what I really need to be happy, to really be secure in my heart, to, to have this thirst quenched. And you get, but guess what happens? You get the job you're just as empty. You get that promotion, you're just as empty. Um, or think of, we can do this with relationships. Relationships are wonderful. And we can think that, oh, you know, if I, I remember, I think in this when I was younger, oh, if I just uh, had a girlfriend, then, then that thirst would be quenched. Got a girlfriend? Nope, just as empty as ever. And then we think, well, if I just get married, oh, then that thirst will be quenched. Guess what? Nope. Not the answer. See, all these things, they have their place. But ultimately, Jesus is saying, I am offering you the living water and only this can truly satisfy that thirst in your soul that we all have. And so he says, come and drink. Come and drink. Because it is in him, St. Augustine once said, one of my favorite quotes, our, our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. Our hearts are restless. We're going after all these different things from one thing to the next. Amazon Prime, Netflix, whatever it is, one thing to the next. But ultimately, our hearts are restless until they find rest in him. You see, we were made for something that this world cannot truly satisfy. Now, the world's good. God created it. He said it's good. But we are created for him. We are created for his living waters. We are created for his love. We are created for his presence. And so the invitation is to come and drink deeply of those waters. Drink deeply of those waters. And so one of the problems we see here is when we drink from the wrong source. And when we do that, we get thirsty. We get thirsty. And we see that in the life of this Samaritan woman. Now, uh, another issue is, well, let me just, before I get to that, just kind of, just, just by way of application, you might just want to think, what, is there anything in your life that, that God might be calling you to kind of guard your heart from that might kind of be kind of, polluting those things that aren't of him. You know, what, what, what things might be hindrances in your life that might be preventing you from drinking deeply of these waters that he's calling you to? Uh, this past week, I felt like God just kind of led me to uh, kind of take on some new practices to kind of do kind of a, a certain fast for a season just to really make space in my life to really drink more deeply of these waters. And so I don't know what he's calling you to in this season, but the question is, what, what is that next step for you because the invitation is to come and drink deeply of these living waters of his love so what is the next step 
Now, one issue we've seen is that one, one issue is that we need to drink from the right source. We need to drink from Christ's living waters. But another issue is not just the source. We also need to drink enough. Now, we need enough quantity. We need enough regularity of our drinking. So just think of your physical life. We, as we saw, you need to drink enough water each day. It's not enough just to drink some clean water. You need to drink sufficient quantities to sustain your life. And actually, you look at John chapter 7, I think it's clear that we are meant to be continually drinking of this living water. For this to be a lifestyle of drinking God's presence and love, if you will. Let me illustrate this from another passage. There's a, there's a story in Mark chapter 9 uh, where there is, there's a young boy who is, who is demonized. He's, he's spiritually oppressed, and, and the disciples, they try to cast uh, this demon out of this boy. They are unable. Uh, Jesus shows up, and, and they ask him why they can't cast this evil spirit out. And, and he says, this kind only comes out with prayer. And then he proceeds to cast it out without praying. He just gives a command. You might think, what's going on there? Now, sometimes we, we try to take these little shortcuts. We say, oh, well, he's God. I, I, don't, I don't think we can punt to that on this one because as you look at Jesus' ministry, we talked about this in August, that he primarily lived his human life and, and did his human ministry not out of reliance on his own inherent deity, but on reliance upon the power of the Holy Spirit. I think he's modeling for us what human life is actually supposed to look like in part. And, and, and so that's part of it. But also, uh, that would be undermining his point. If his point is, hey, you need to pray, then you would think if this is a teaching moment that he's giving, he would then pray in that moment. I don't think so. I don't think his point was, in the moment, you need to pray. No, that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I think his point is this. I think he was trying to help the disciples see that they, were, that they didn't have a sufficient life with God to sustain what they're trying to do for God. You see, he had a life, Jesus, he looked at his life, he lived a life of prayer. And so I think his point was that, no, actually, guys, you need to live a lifestyle of prayer to do the things you're trying to now do. And that is the same thing for us. The point is not just to drink the right source. We need to drink enough. So are you drinking enough water? (laughs) Are you drinking enough living water? Are you drinking it regularly enough? Are you taking the time you need just to get into God's presence and just receive his love and his mercy and just just bask in his presence? Are you taking the time for that? We need not just the right source. We need to drink enough water. And for some of us, that might be a bit of a paradigm shift, but I think this is so, so important. So important. And here's another question. Sometimes I think if I reflect on my life honestly, kind of in the past, I think so much of my life, I've, per, I've approached my, this, this, whole, this whole area with kind of what is the bare minimum amount of water I need to drink to not die? <laughs> but you see, that's totally like the wrong question to ask. Imagine if you did that in your physical life. I mean, that just, that's just not smart. Rather, what if we ask the question, what do I need to do to drink enough in order to thrive? What if we asked that question, how might that change our lives? How might that change our cities? How might that change our neighborhoods and our workplaces? If we structured our life, not just to survive and not die, but to actually thrive so that therefore we could be like these conduits, if you will, like, like this like aqueduct of God's living water flowing through us into the world around us. How might that actually change things? So I think actually, um, if, if as Christians, as followers of Jesus today, if we actually had that paradigm, I, I can't imagine what impact that would make. 
I think it'll make a world of difference. So that's, that's what I'm going for. I'm just saying, I invite you to join me. That, like, that's, I'm literally, I'm making some, I'm doing some radical changes in my life right now. I'll probably talk about it another time because I want more of God. I want more of his presence. I want more of his love. I want more of his power. I want more of his holiness because that's where it's at. We've got nothing without him. Nothing. I, I, I am so tired of just getting busy for Jesus. I'm just, I, I want him. I want to see things that can't be explained by my effort alone. I want the living God. And so that's, that's the call of this passage, to come to his waters and drink and let that change you to let that change you and to let that equip you to be an agent of his changing power and presence. So come and drink. That's, that's the invitation this morning. But as we see that actually this Samaritan woman, that, that she actually does that. No, she just gets like a little sip. Again, she's in process. So she just gets like a little sip of this water, but it absolutely changes her. And then she's kind of catapulted out and has this like amazing impact. It is absolutely unbelievable. And think about this. She was shunned, she was shamed, she was disgraced in this community, yet this somehow just getting close to Jesus and just getting a sip of this water changed her to such an extent. She had the boldness to go and to these people who had shunned her, who had, who had looked down on her, who had avoided her, and she goes and she tells them about Jesus. And um, look in verse 29. And she has just this kind of simple sermon, if you will. There's nothing fancy. It's like not like, sometimes I think, oh, I have to, if I, did, if I don't have the answer to every apologetic question, I can't have a spiritual conversation. She's not worried about that. Look at this. She just goes into the town. She says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And then she says, <laughs> you just have to love this. It's like her first sermon. You know, Could this be the Messiah? You might think like, you know, how's God going to use that? But guess what? This city, this town was radically transformed. Uh, look at this. Uh, verses um, 30, it says, they, they came out of the town and made their way toward him. It's not because she had the fanciest sermon. It's because like, there's like this is living water flowing through her. And somehow they could, they could experience that. They could perceive that. And so they're they, like, well, who is this Jesus guy? So they go out to meet him. And then further down, verses 39 through 41 Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Again, think of that. That was a very simple testimony. Yet she was so filled with this living water that many came to believe simply in virtue of that. He told me everything I ever did. Then it goes on, verse 40. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more came to believe. Just an amazing story. Again, she just got a sip of this living water. And, and it's like this miracle happens and she becomes like this fountain of this living water and, and this whole town is transformed. So, so again, I just can't imagine what might happen if we actually prioritized this in our lives. I know it's totally counterintuitive for American Christianity, but what if we actually prioritized this to get so filled up with the living water of God, with his love, with his presence, with his mercy? What, what might happen? Let me just close with this. We're invited to come. We're invited to drink, but we have a choice to make. Will we do it? There's an old saying, at least where I come from, I grew up in the country, so I don't know if this works in Fullerton, but saying where I grew up, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. See, God can lead you. He can woo you. He can draw you. He can lead you to the living waters, but he's actually not going to make you drink. That's something that only you can decide to do. You and I, we, we, 
each of us, we have to decide every day, will I come to the waters and drink or will I go to something else? Will I just try to like keep hitting next show on Netflix <laughs> or Amazon Prime or whatever that is? Look, I watch TV. I'm not like anti-TV. But the question is, where are we really drinking? Where are we going to really quench that thirst? Jesus says, come to me and I will give you living water. I'm going to end with this story. Man, you can come back up. So this is a, a, a passage from C.S. Lewis's book, The Silver Chair. I don't know if any of you read it. It's from his uh, Chronicles of Narnia, famous uh, uh, set of books, children's books, fictional, so it's kind of fantasy. Uh, and this is this, is, this amazing passage. Uh, and here we read of a young girl named Jill, and she entered kind of this strange wood in the, in the magical land of Narnia, and she kind of gets lost, and she gets separated from her friend, and she finds herself alone, and, and she's very thirsty. She's walking around in search of water, uh, and she finds a stream, and she's excited, but then she kind of stops dead in her tracks because she, she sees that there's a, a lion right there. And, and this lion, by the way, represents Jesus. Uh, and, but this lion is sitting right between her and kind of this beautiful, amazing stream. And so she's facing this lion. She's terrified, but she is so thirsty. And so we read this. I'm just going to read you from this. Lewis says, if you're thirsty, you may drink. For a second, she stared here and there, wondering who had spoken. Then the voice said again, if you are thirsty, come and drink. It was deeper, wilder, and stronger, a sort of heavy golden voice. Are you thirsty, said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Do you eat girls? She asked fearfully. (laughs) I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I daren't come and drink, said Joe. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Joe, coming another step near. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. It occurred to Jill, it never occurred to Jill to disbelieve a lion. No one who had seen his stern face could do that. And her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she had ever had to do, but she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coolest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. You didn't need to drink much of it, for it quenched your thirst at once. Friends, there is no other stream. And the invitation today is to come and drink. In a moment, we're going to do that by coming to the Lord's table. But first, I just want to take a moment for us to respond. So I just invite you just to kind of close your eyes and um, just turn our, our hearts to God for a moment. And um, 
perhaps some of you here today, you've never tasted of this water. Oh, and Jesus would so love for you to come and drink. He would so love for you to know his love and forgiveness in life. And so if you want to receive that today, uh, this isn't a high pressure place. This is just uh, a place where you can meet with God. And so if, if that's where you are today, I'm just going to give you a simple prayer. You can say silently or quietly. And you can just simply say this, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. If that's the desire of your heart, it's simple as that. You can just say, Lord Jesus, I give you my life. That's not the end of the conversation. That's the start of a conversation. You can say, I want to know your living water. If you prayed that just now, I invite you to get prayer during communion. Our prayer team would love to pray for you. And if you just share with them that you prayed that prayer today, that they would love to just pray for you and bless you on this journey. But all of us today, we, we, we struggle. Like this Samaritan woman, we struggle. And, and in time, sometimes... We drink from other streams and, and polluted streams. And so we're going to take a moment just to confess that to God and to receive his mercy afresh. And so I invite you now just to call to mind before God. What, what is that that you need to confess to him now? Not so that he can condemn you, but so he can cleanse you of that and forgive you and wash you of that. So just ask God, what, what do you need to confess to him now? Just take a moment in silent prayer and we'll continue in worship.